0: Hello and welcome back to Deconstructing the Bible. My name is Jason Steffenhagen. I am the Associate Minister at The Well United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota. So today I want to title this episode 70 times 7. And now some of you Bible scholars out there, some of you Bible nerds are going to go, oh, I know exactly what he's about to talk about. And others of you have no idea. So for those of you who have no idea... I'm going to let the tension hold for a little bit. 70 times 7. But I'm going to start with a little story. So my brother Joe and I were born about 18, 19 months apart. And we were, you know, good buddies, obviously, as brothers. Not all brothers are good buddies. I shouldn't make that sound so obvious, like as if that's the way it always is for people. But my brother and I were pretty good friends. We, We enjoyed hanging out together. But we also... We were very competitive. Our house was a very sports oriented house. There was a lot of competition in the house. And something that is maybe helpful to know, and we've spoken publicly about this, so I feel comfortable sharing this story because my brother and I literally sat on stage in chapel a little while back and we talked about this when I was at Bethel. Uh, so, my brother Joe was born with cerebral palsy on his right side. And so he has limited mobility of his right arm and right leg. And uh, but that never stopped Joe. Joe was always uh, playing sports with the whole neighborhood crew. And we had about eight boys under the, you know, all within three years of each other. I was going to say under the age of 10. Well, yeah, at one point we were all under the age of 10. Now we're all under the age of, you know, 41. Uh, I just turned 40 a week ago. So anyway, I digress. There were eight of us all within three years of each other. Nine of us, if you throw in the other guy that was two years older than me, and so we had a very fun, lively neighborhood group of boys. We played a lot of sports, basketball, baseball. We played rollerblade hockey, played football. Uh, we played night games, kicked the can, um, tag we had this you know tag is always tough when you're like getting to be a little older right because people get fast and it's hard to catch people so we we played a game called ball tag which was basically you had a nerf ball and you could throw it at someone and if you hit them then they were it with the nerf ball and so it made it so that the slow people could catch the fast people because they could throw hard so anyway we had night games um we just played 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 played, played, and my brother joe kept up with everybody uh, despite whatever physical limitations he may have had that never got in the way of anything. My brother Joe uh, wrestled in high school on varsity. He played football. Uh, he was a good baseball player. He still is a great pickup basketball player. Uh, so my brother Joe uh, had some limitations, had some potential struggles, but never let that define um, who he was. And, and also, uh, you know, his story is a really dynamic and beautiful story. So I say all that because the competitive nature of our household led to some instances that didn't need to be competitive, but were. Um, Playing cards, playing ping pong, playing round robin ping pong with the entire family. You know, times when we're all just having fun, but things uh, were competitive. My brother Joe also had uh, a little bit of a temper. He didn't like to lose, didn't like to feel uh, less than, and so... There was a, a struggle at times Um, when things got a little competitive. They would get a little heated. There'd be a little name-calling. And then Big Brother Jason's not innocent in this. Big Brother Jason liked to antagonize, liked to intimidate, liked to be a little uh, needling at times. I knew what bus- buttons to push in order to get my brother to react. And so I was pretty subtle at it, pretty good at it. You know, As I got older, my parents and others informed me that I wasn't as subtle as I thought I was. Uh, but still, I was pretty decent at pushing the right buttons and getting my brother to kind of fly off the handle. So fast forward to I'm now married and living in Tennessee, and I'm visiting family up in Minnesota. And my brother and I are at my grandparents' house, and we have a fun night eating spaghetti, you know, chocolate cake with peanut butter frosting and night vanilla ice cream, which is our family favorite. It's the go-to for every birthday. If you haven't had chocolate cake and peanut butter frosting, you need to try it. It's amazing. I digress again. So we're hanging out, having a good time. We go downstairs, play a little ping pong. It gets heated. It gets a little weird. I'm like, Joe, stop overreacting. Stop making a big deal of this. It's not a big deal. And he yells at me, I don't tell me what to do. Da, da, da. We kind of have a moment, right? Well, that night we were driving back to my parents' house, just he and I. And I wanted to confront... The tension that was experienced at my grandparents' house. And I was like, Joe, like, we got to talk about this. And my brother lit into me in a way that I will never forget. He's like, I don't need your lecture. I don't need you to tell me what I can and can't do. I don't need you to do, 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 do. And he just starts going off about how you think you're so perfect and you think you're so amazing and you think you're always right. And I'm like, yeah, I do think I'm always right because I am always right. Which obviously isn't the truth, but yeah, you know, 20s. So I'm acting like a jerk. He's trying to respond back. I'm trying to have a civil conversation. It blows up. All the stuff goes sideways. We're driving home. This is not a long drive. It's 12 minutes from my grandparents' house to my parents' house. So we're kind of going at it, and then it gets real quiet real fast. And there was a lot of tension in the air. So I decided this isn't going to continue. We got to hash this out. So we pull into the grocery store parking lot and we're just sitting there and i just say, joe we need to talk this out because this has gone on long enough we're in our 20s now i live in tennessee i'm married like you're graduating college like but we just gotta figure this out so we sit down and we're sitting in that parking lot and then my brother starts telling me about how difficult i made things for him and how antagonistic i was and how um just mean-spirited I, I had been throughout our childhood and how I had gotten him into trouble and how he had actually been holding back the rage that he felt for the longest time. And it had it had actually been something that he had been conscious of, this anger and this frustration. And instead of letting me have it, he was actually holding back. Um, even though what I saw was someone that was still getting outraged and upset and you know, was kind of being immature in my eyes, what he was experiencing was, uh, was someone who was trying to keep the tide um, from hitting the shore. And so I, in that moment, had this, you know, realization that like, man, like, I, I have a lot to apologize for. And so, you know, I just told him how sorry I was, you know, and how I, I just apologized. I just said, I'm so sorry. And he, you know, he started crying. I start crying, you know, so here's these two grown men sitting in a parking lot of a grocery store, um, at 10 o'clock at night. And we're both crying our eyes out, apologizing. He starts apologizing for not always being nice and being rude. And, And I'm like, you don't have to say that. And he's like, no, I do. And so now I'm like, I forgive you. And he's like, I forgive you too. And we're crying and crying and crying. And like, we just have this moment. And then we decide, you know, all right, let's, uh, are we? Are we good? We we dry our eyes and we, you know, we uh, hug it out, and then we decide, you know, we'll, let's go back to mom and dad's, and and so we head back, and and it was this beautiful night where we really owned a lot of what we had been through in our childhood, a lot of what we had been through as young adults, and we kind of decided to to turn a new leaf and to move forward. Um, now, it'd be really great if I if I could give you this picture of like you know, if you have this moment where you forgive each other and you cried out in a parking lot and then the rest of all, you know, history, the rest of time with that relationship is better, you know, that that would be great, but it's not the case. So, we had moments. We still have moments where we get on each other's nerves. We say things we don't mean, or we say things we do mean, but we say it in a way that's hurtful and and it comes across worse than we thought. And so we still get on each other's nerves. Sometimes Joe still overreacts in competitive situations. Sometimes I still needle him and give him a hard time for doing so and call him out for it, even though I know that's not helpful. And so we still have these moments where we have to lean back into the forgiveness, lean back into the, the, the history of this relationship. And now this history includes though, and this is the beautiful part, it includes this moment where we understand each other. And so it's not that we are great all the time. It's that we lean back into being people who are on each other's side and can offer each other forgiveness and offer each other presence. And we've tried to cultivate a relationship where understanding and forgiveness is at the forefront as opposed to this thing that we'll never get to or this thing that we expect to be automatic. It's something that we work towards and we have to keep at it. And here's where it ties into 70 times 7. Because in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is hanging out with the disciples and they're talking about all kinds of things. What do you do if somebody sins against you and does something to you? How do you confront that? You know, And Jesus says, if that happens, you got to go straight to the person, and if they uh you know if they, if when you confront them, if they're honest about it and seek forgiveness, then you offer that forgiveness right you've that that that's worked and you've gotten through to them and they've they've owned what they did to hurt you you know if that doesn't work, then you have to maybe bring in someone that can be kind of a mediator and accountability to the two of you to help you navigate the conversation and if that doesn't work, then you might need to go to leadership and I think sometimes what gets sidetracked is that instead of confronting people straight to their face and talking about what's hurt us, we oftentimes talk around it to other people, right? We go to a friend of a friend of a friend, right? And we start this kind of gossip train about what someone's done to us. And it ends up getting back to the person. And then you hear, well, why don't you just come talk to me about that, right? And and why don't you just come address it with me? I, w- I would have I loved to have an opportunity to tell you I'm sorry, right? And so, How we go about asking for forgiveness is really important. And Jesus in Matthew 18 is talking about a pattern of doing this. You go straight to the person. If you don't get through to them, bring an accountability partner, bring a mediator to help have that conversation. You know, if that doesn't work, then you might need to bring in, you know, someone that they respect as an authority and that they might listen to. And so like a, like a church elder or something like that. And so. Um, there's this way of going about confrontation that can be really healthy. It's hard. It's never easy, but it's necessary. And then Peter asks this question. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And then, the, he, asked, then he says this, seven times? Question mark. And so let's just pause there before we get to Jesus' response, because Jesus is going to respond. So, Peter wants to know, how often do I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. And it's a weird question, right? Like, so someone comes to you and says, I'm really sorry for doing this thing to you. I've hurt you. Will you forgive me? And the answer is, well, yeah, I forgive you. Now, why seven times? And scholars will say that the reason why Peter asked Jesus if seven times is good enough is because Peter really wasn't looking to offer forgiveness in a way that was long-standing, but Peter was wanting to offer forgiveness so that he can then pay back, right? Sure, I forgive you, and now I'm going to get you back. Like, oh, but if I forgive you seven times, now I'm justified in getting you back. So Peter is trying to figure out, where is the line that I need to get to in order to now be someone who has vengeance upon what was done to me. How can I do this in a way that I don't get blamed for being, you know, rude back? How do I do this in a way so that I am paying them back, but it's not going to fall on me? If I forgive them seven times, am I good now? Is it good now for me to pay back and to have some vengeance? Like this bitterness and the resentment that I have is built up and I need to do something with it. I can't just let it go but if i forgive them 7 times then i'm good to unleash whatever frustration tension anger uh vengeance that i have within me and and uh and this is a common thing right in the first century it's a common thing in the old testament uh and and it was it's it's even common now right like we kind of think that like if i somehow maintain a little bit of innocence like you know then i can i can pay someone back or do something and and that's just obviously not a healthy pattern, and so um, Peter's trying to figure this out. And it's interesting that he uses the number seven because the number seven is the number of wholeness, the number of perfection. And so it's almost like he's saying, if I can holistically offer forgiveness for what just happened, am, am I good now to to respond in, in whatever way I want? Right? What? How do I how do I navigate this relationship? And it's and it's it's funny because it's almost like Peter doesn't understand the true impact of wholeness here. He doesn't quite understand that moving towards wholeness is supposed to be an entire different way of being in the world. Instead, he's kind of looking for, where's the line that I need to get to so then I can go back to being the person that I want to be. I want to be a payback, vengeful, bitter, angry, resentful person. Um, And so just tell me where that line is so I can get back to doing that. And so Jesus, his response is, no, not seven times. Jesus replied, but 70 times seven, 70 times seven. Now we could do the math there and be like 490 times, but let's be honest. I think what Jesus is trying to say here is there is no amount that you can offer forgiveness and then become a resentful, bitter, angry, vengeful person. Jesus is saying, you don't get to do this a certain number of times and then whatever comes next is fine. Because whatever comes next is still inappropriate. Revenge and vengeance and payback and bitterness and resentment are not the way of the Spirit. They're not in flow with what God is up to. They're not part of the kingdom of God. And so it's not seven times and then you've magically erased whatever comes next as if you're some innocent person who takes vengeance, but it's justified. No, 70 times seven. What Jesus is saying here is that forgiveness is a way of being. Forgiveness is a way of being in the world. This is how we operate in the world. We don't operate as if there's some magic uh, time frame that, okay, now I've been nice enough long enough, now I can be the way I really want to be, which is mean and hurtful. No, instead, I always need to be a person of forgiveness. If I say I forgive you, I always forgive you. If I say I'm a forgiving person, I always operate in the world as a forgiving person person. Here's the thing about forgiveness. If you are unforgiving, if you are unwilling to forgive someone, it's about power. Forgiveness is about power. It's always about who holds the power over the other person. If you are unwilling to be forgiving, then you hold the power. If you think there's a limit to how many times you have to be forgiving and you get to that mark and now you've grabbed the power back. You've done your thing. You've gotten to that line. You've you've accomplished that. And now you have your power back. Being unforgiving is about power. It's about power. And what Jesus is asking us to do is to not play this hierarchical power game. Jesus is saying, this, this, this forgiveness thing is so powerful because it's about power structures. It's about who owns who, who owns the power in the relationship. Think of it from a, a standpoint of of money and debt. You know sometimes we read the Lord's Prayer and we use trespasses, we use sin, but one of the, the NIV uses debts. Right? It says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, one way of interpreting what's going on in the Lord's Prayer there is that there's this ability we have to hold power over others by not forgiving the debts that they owe us. We hold power. But if God is going to forgive the debts that we owe, we also should forgive the debts that are owed to us, which connects beautifully back into Matthew 18, where after Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven, he tells this beautiful parable of a king who forgave a millions of dollars debt to a servant because the servant had no way of paying it back. And he had, he had, he just begged them, his, his, his king, can you please forgive this debt? And so what happens is the king forgives the debt and says, yes, go and uh, and live. Be released from this. This no longer needs to have power over you. You don't owe me anything. But the man turns around and goes to a servant that owes him like a few thousand dollars, right? This man owed millions of dollars to the king and this other servant owed that guy a few thousand dollars. But what does he do? He grabs him by the throat, demands instant payment, and even... Throws him in jail. The man pleads the same way that this guy just pleaded to the king, uses the same language. Please, like, I need some more time. I want to pay it off. Help me. Instead, he says, No, throws him in prison until the debt can be paid in full. Well, the king hears about this and he's clearly upset with this guy. He's like, What are you doing? You are so evil. I forgave you millions of dollars worth of debt. And you pleaded with me to do it, and then you turn around and are unforgiving, unmerciful, towards someone who needed the same mercy that I showed you. And so what is the king do he's like, if that's the game you want to play, then you're going to lose. right? If you want to play this hierarchy, power, forgiveness, unforgiveness game, like you're gonna lose in spades. Like there is no way you can win that game. Instead, instead. We have to operate in the spirit of forgiveness, not the spirit of limited forgiveness, but unconditional, unlimited forgiveness. Forgiveness is a way of life. It's a way of being in the world. It's a way of being human in the world. It's a way of showing up, of getting in the flow of the spirit. That's what forgiveness is supposed to be. You know, and now some people will read that that parable and they'll get kind of hung up, right? Because at the very end of it, It says, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's what the heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, here's the, here's the, the, so so it's really easy for people to read that and be like, whoa, you mean if we're, if we're not forgiving, God's going to like throw us in prison and torture us? Like that sounds really, really awful. But, but here's the thing. I think we have to miss where we misread or misunderstand what's going on. God is giving us what we want in this situation. The man in the parable wanted power, but he didn't want power over him. He just wanted to have the power. That's not how it works. If you're going to play the power game, then you're going to have to recognize that there's someone bigger than you, and you owe that person millions of dollars. If you want to play the power game, you're going to get what you asked for. And I think that's what the Bible is saying here, that that's what my Heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. If you want to play the game where unforgiveness is a way of grabbing power, well then buckle up because that's a terrible way to live, but you're asking for it. And and God doesn't, you know, turn you into a robot. Who only has the ability to follow God perfectly. No, God's going to give you the free will that if you want to be power hungry and to hold debts over people and to hold unforgiveness over people and to and to maintain power in that way, man, that's a cruel way to live and it's a really awful way to live. And you know what? That's probably how it's going to feel like like what God is doing to you. You're going to have that same guilt and shame that you're passing on to others. You're going to feel like that's the way God is treating you, but. If you become a person who can forgive unconditionally, who can be, have forgiveness be a pattern of, of existence, a way and a flow of your life, then you'll probably recognize that that same flow is the heart of God. That, that same flow, that same uh, attitude, that same generosity, that same mercy is actually coming from God. And it's always present for us. The question is, are we willing to jump into that flow? You know, are we willing to teshuva, to turn back into the good that God has for us and to move into that flow of, of love and forgiveness? So I think that's the ultimate question here is, who are we being? And how do we want to operate in the world? And so let me close by offering a few uh, kind of caveats. A few things, because I think sometimes forgiveness can be misconstrued as we just jump right back into harmful situations. You know, someone does something to us that's really hurtful, and they kind of mildly give an apology, and then we're just supposed to like put ourselves right back in a position to get hurt again. Being forgiving doesn't mean that we don't create boundaries. Just because we're forgiving doesn't mean that we don't create boundaries. If someone's harming us on a repeated basis, yeah, I might want to forgive them. But, but, we should probably create some boundaries so that we don't keep getting hurt again. We can forgive them. We can, we can choose to not hold this over them, to not maintain power over them by not forgiving them. Instead, we can forgive them, but it doesn't mean that we don't create boundaries in order to not be hurt again. It also doesn't mean that we don't need to grieve what was harmful, what was done to us. Grief is part of the, experience of being human and we may need to grieve what was lost because of what someone did to us and then it also doesn't mean that we don't need to seek reconciliation and reconciliation is more than just offering forgiveness it's also about getting back and moving towards the healthy relationship that once existed and that might take work and just forgiving someone might not be enough That might be the starting point to that relationship, but it doesn't mean that it's reconciled. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you have experienced reconciliation. You may need and you will need to move towards reconciliation, and that can take a long time. So we can create boundaries. We do need to grieve, and we may need to seek reconciliation. Here's the final thing I want to offer is that offering forgiveness to someone doesn't always have to be because we've gotten an apology. We may never get an apology from people that have hurt us. We may never get an apology from someone. And part of what forgiveness does is it reminds us that I don't need to be holding this over them. I am releasing them even if they don't think they need to be released from this debt, even though they don't need to, they don't they might not think that they need to apologize. I am going to still Offer forgiveness. Because here's the thing, being a forgiving person doesn't require the other person. Because forgiveness is not just about releasing someone else, it also releases ourselves. When we are a forgiving person, we are released from the power dynamics of unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, vengeance, and payback. Revenge and bitterness and payback and resentment, those are shadows that we live in. They are clouds that hover over us and they can just be exhausting, exhausting ways to live. And forgiveness just releases us from having to be a person who is seeking vengeance, being bitter, having resentment, wanting there to be payback. Man, those can be hard ways to live. And so forgiveness is not just about what we offer to someone else. It's also something that we do for ourselves. It's also what we do for ourselves. Yes, we need to release someone from the debt that they owe us because of what they did to us. But also, we need to release ourselves. We need to live in freedom. We need to live in peace. We need to live in love. And we have to do that by being a person that operates in forgiveness. Not looking for the line, not looking for the moment when payback is justified, but no, instead being a person of forgiveness. Now, this is is impossibly hard, but it can be done. It can be done through the power of the Spirit, and it can be done through healthy, dynamic connection with other people who can hold you accountable and love you in the midst of this journey. So process this with people you love and respect. Ask others to help you on the way. Uh, Be a person of forgiveness. Be a person who gets into the flow of what God is up to, remembering that power over is never the way of love but instead how we serve each other, how we release the debts from one another so that we can start moving towards reconciliation. We can create boundaries. We may need to grieve. And we can always, always, always hope to move towards reconciliation. This is the life of forgiveness. This is what it means to be a 70 times seven person. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Just a programming note. Deconstructing the Bible is going to take a little bit of a hiatus for about a month. We're going to do some planning. We're going to do some uh, preparing for the fall season. So look for Deconstructing the Bible to come back uh, the beginning of September. We're excited for season two of Deconstructing the Bible. We're going to do a lot more exploring of God's Word. We're going to find some good conversation partners. And we got a lot planned for what's ahead. So we look forward to season two of Deconstructing the Bible. Thanks for being with us on this journey so far. We can't wait to reconnect with you in September. Have a great August.